0: Hello, and welcome to season four. It's a podcast that seeks to encourage and inspire you on your journey. Well, look, today's guest is a real treat. He is someone who I bumped into at the Satellites conference, and you get to hear more about that. And, um, you know, it, it was a bit bizarre because I didn't know who he was from Larry, all right? I had absolutely no idea. And um, I rock up into this auditorium and there's about a thousand people and he is talking. And it was like, all right, OK. And he started sharing. and It was like, oh, this this guy, great. And um, I, I was really impressed. And, and, and we're going to do another episode with him on that, the subject that he was talking about. So do watch out. But I then found out that his actual specialty is youth work. And he is almost like the youth worker's youth worker. And so I, I you know, I was like, all right, okay. And I, I bumped into a few other people and said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Marco. Oh, yeah. He's amazing. He's like, oh, really? Really? Yeah, yeah. He really is. Um, he is such a down-to-worth, fun, and he's, he's a dude. <laughs> just, he's great. He's really cool. So um, today's episode is just having a chat about um, his youth work and um, honestly the wisdom that he shares if you don't do youth work don't worry because the reality is the wisdom transcends age uh, and, and I say that because I've done you know children's work and I've done adult um, leadership the wisdom transcends the age group adults if you are involved in ministry this stuff is also just as important as it is for the emerging generation so enjoy lock in and let's go for it well we are now with my next guest and it is a particular treat that our guest that we have is with Marco. And um, for those of you who know who Marco is, you're going, ooh, Marco. <laughs> and for some of you, you're going, nope, ain't got a clue who he is. Um, Marco is a person who I bumped into at um, it was at the satellite's youth. Uh, event which is this new uh, event that's kind of one of the siblings for Soul survivor and and i was there with a bunch of young people uh, in, with my youth group with some others and um he was doing a talk and the first thing i noticed was just this the magnificence of his beard <laughs> 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 I mean, he was like you know immediate i me being without hair but have obviously a beard i all oh, i have i I wouldn't call it a man crush, but I do. I always mention it to my wife, it's like, <laughs> good beard, good beard. And, and then you, and then then you had these, these you do have a fantastic tattoos. And my mate Nat Moody has amazing tattoos. And I always love the stories behind the, the tattoos and so and so forth. Um, so anyway, here you
1: are. Here I am and yes
0: where are an Amer- you
1: an american as people might guess from my voice yes um yeah i live in san diego california which most of you know how where california is. san diego is at the very southwest corner of the united states so if i go 20 minutes west i'm yeah. in the pacific ocean wow if i go tw- if i go 20 minutes south i'm at the mexico border so that's where i am
0: that's extraordinary that's, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, for me, if I go 20 minutes south, I can see France.
1: Just... <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
0: That's about as, as cool as it gets. You win on cool, though. That's fine. Um, so how long have you been in the lovely San Diego?
1: I have lived in San Diego for 24 years, uh, oh. but I've been, I've been in youth work now for 40 years. So very Gosh. long. I'm, I'm an old guy. Yeah. Um, I spent, uh, a number of years, uh, roughly half of my ministry life was spent, uh, as what we in the States called a junior high pastor or middle school pastor. It's working specifically with 11 to 14s yeah. in a church. Yeah. Um, because that was my area of passion, uh, and those jobs, uh, for a church that can hire somebody for that age group tends to be a larger church. So I, I've worked mostly in larger churches um, by default of that kind of specific calling. Yeah. And then for the last uh, couple decades, I've been working at training organizations that resource church-based youth workers. So a decade at an organization some have heard of called Youth Specialties, and then these days, I lead a, a small organization called the Youth Cartel, and for all of these years that I've lived in San Diego, I'm a volunteer with the 11 to 14s group at my church. So I'm yeah, I'm a small I'm a small group leader um, with a, a little group of boys that, uh, and on I, a weekly basis.
0: You, I remember because I we I've, obviously we we met up we we had loved, you know had a couple of chats and so on and so forth. I, I think for me, I mean, to be quite honest with you, you you were just You were stellar uh and i I mean that and i'm you know we've we'll we'll probably have a chat on about other subjects on another time but the thing that the little workshop that us youth workers rocked up and when you said oh when i do this uh basically for fun it's not a job you do it for the love (laughs) of the people and it was like yeah all right so he's 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 the real deal he's not some guy who's and I, I've got to be very careful how I say that, but but you you know what I mean. You know, you still got your hand in.
1: I mean, I'll say it then because yeah, it's been a it's there. You know, at fifty nine years old, yeah, there are many weeks where I it's about time to go over to drive over to my church to lead my small group, and uh, I just don't know if I'm up for it. Uh, yeah, so there's many times when I feel old or tired or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and uh, as I, there are plenty of weeks where I still love it. So, you know, I, I'm that's enough motivation on a lot of weeks. On the weeks where I struggle, like there have been enough of my peers, meaning people who are kind of more national youth ministry leaders who speak and write books and things like that. Yeah. Who uh, all they, all they can refer to are examples from their experience of youth work in the 80s or 90s oh my gosh. and i've just i just <laughs> refused to be that guy so um yeah it, it's a very important commitment to me um yeah and yeah i get a new small group of boys uh this this coming week and uh i'll be their small group leader for three years so that's
0: exciting yeah yep yeah we our youth group came we reassembled on sunday and it was it was buzzing you know and, mm. and all of them were talking about how so awesome, great you know the satellite great. was it's great so so you know that you you specialize you know with the the 11 to 14 year old so middle high school i think you call it um and which is fascinating because it's it's such a formative years mm-hmm. um yeah from and it's interesting that you mention about the 90s and the 80s and how we've done youth work and how it's changed and shifted there is a there is a global story a bit unfortunately uh, like world war 1 and world war 2 and the various different economic crashes that had ripples across the whole globe nobody evaded from it and we've just got through to some extent we're not out of it yet a pandemic mm-hmm. that absolutely it crashed in everyone's lives. You know, No, yeah. I, most people I know didn't say, oh yeah, it was awesome. Like a lot of people right. said, I, I struggled. But there were certain yeah. things that came to the surface, which was like, we do not want to go back to how we were before. Mm. All right. Mm-hmm. So for you, with, with yeah, your Yeah, I lenses, would say there's a
1: lot of people though, we'll, we'll get back to your question in a second. Yeah. I, I, I'm frustrated With how many, and I would say it's a majority, are saying we've got to get back to how it was before. Really,
0: really. So that's unusual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the UK, it's not like
1: that. I, I think maybe that's one of the one of the differences between our cultures is that uh, you guys had already experienced for a decade or two ahead of us the the really trying to do ministry in a more post-christian post-church world. Yeah. Um, It's interesting because I think uh, most Americans who, if they haven't been there as particularly if they haven't interacted with church leaders in the UK, they maybe aren't often aware of that. They, they perceive wrongly that because you have more in a sense, integration of church and state, um, you know uh, having any kind of religious education for example is uh, for example has been not something that's been allowed in in public schools in the states for a very long time yeah. um so we perceive wrongly that you guys have more church and state interaction uh but of course anybody who's been there and knows yeah. um you guys are leading us you're ahead of us by 10 to 20 years and what? there's Yeah, and I think that there's so many things that uh, American church leaders need to look to the UK and other parts of Europe for how ministry is going to look for us in the years or decades to come. That's really interesting, because
0: at the moment, there was a... I remember, uh, you know, know, I'm a bit younger than you, well, and uh, I remember when youth work um, the youth work conference was around, and and mm-hmm. everyone was talking about. Uh, isn't it great that there's loads of more youth work roles being employed? Mm-hmm. Now it's not really youth workers that they're employing; they're actually employing family workers. They realise mm-hmm. that it's not just the ch- children and young people; it's the family. Yeah. Um, but but that that in itself is, is 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 you know is an interesting observation because it's it's recognising very similar to to schools. That um, unless you engage with the parents, you're going to struggle in seeing the transformation of that young person as they grow and develop. Because it's a both it's a both and. Yes. So, what are the observations that you that you have had? How has the world changed or not changed? Um, and where do you think it needs to change? In from your context, but also on a on a on a macro context, when it comes to enabling young people to
1: thrive. Yeah. 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 Well, I think there's, uh, there's lots of ways to answer that. Mm-hmm. Certainly one, one that I've been trying to push on for a number of years is, uh, a needed shift from a, a program centric approach to mm-hmm. youth work to, uh, something that is, more about creating meaningful places of belonging um, and so i think for a, a, a lot of years and we kind of perfected this model in the 70s 80s and 90s yeah. where uh we were trying to create an attractive program that teenagers would like to come to, to if we back up historically it's really something we borrowed and modified from parachurch organizations like Youth for Christ and other organizations like that who were doing more kind of missional youth work in communities and still do in many cases, right? And they actually developed a lot of those approaches, things that were kind of considered a little radical at the time, but seemed so normal to us today, like getting kids in a circle to talk about the things that matter to them and, um, you know, and, uh, even things like crowd breakers and, you know, retreats and those kinds of things. Right. And, um, and and the church kind of imported those and created the modern youth group kind of late sixties, early seventies. It actually coincided with a turn, uh, in the, primary need of teenagers. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, if I can kind of give a little overview to that, that most uh, all teenagers, really, this is a developmental thing that I would su- suggest is anchored in God's creation intentions. Um, all yeah. all teenagers are wrestling with three primary issues. And those are identity, which is who am I yeah. and um, autonomy, which is an agency question. Some people use the word purpose for this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's about how do my choices matter? Mm -hmm. Can I actually influence others, uh, the trajectory of my own life, my friends and family, maybe even the world? Uh, And then the third task is, uh, is affinity or belonging to whom and where do I belong? And my suggestion is that those, the priority of those three things have reshuffled at two significant hinge points in modern youth culture. The first of those was uh, around the late 60s and early 70s, uh, prior to that, identity was the long leg of the three-legged stool. It was the most important of the three. It was kind of the lenses through which the average teenager viewed the other tasks and everything. Yeah. And then with the kind of sense that youth culture was not just a passing fad and was actually something here to stay, we saw a change in our culture. In the late '60s and early '70s, and autonomy or purpose became the long leg of the three-legged stool. Uh, In many ways, at least in the U.S., a lot of that came about uh, because of the reaction to the Vietnam War and teenagers wondering, "Do I have any agency? Can I actually make a difference in the world?" Mm -hmm. And with that question of how am I unique and different, and what, how do my choices make a difference? The idea of an isolated youth group that is program centric made some sense in the context of a church. And we worked at that model for 30 years. We could unpack what was wrong with that, but let's just say in many ways, it was culturally appropriate for those three decades. Yeah. And then around the term millennium, we saw another really significant change take place that by the way, was not caused by the internet, but was Fueled by the internet, the internet, the rise of the internet, was expedited this shift. Uh, and basically, what happened is, uh, for reasons that maybe I won't bother going into right now because it gets a little academic, <laughs> the the uh, youth culture shifted around the turn of millennium from being a subculture to becoming the dominant culture and became synonymous with pop culture. Yeah. And all of us, whatever age, unless we're maybe you know, over 75 years old or something, all of us kind of started taking our cues from youth culture. The problem is youth culture doesn't want to be the dominant culture because they're still trying to work out how they're unique and different. And so youth culture responded around the term millennium by splintering into thousands of cultures. And the reality today is that there is no longer one monolithic youth culture. It's thousands of youth cultures. You can't look at what we would call a high school, a secondary school, and assume that if you can reach the old, we have a, do you have Young Life there? You have Young Life too, right?
0: I think so. I don't know. To be honest with you. It's
1: like, it's like Youth for Christ. They do uh, schools-based work at Young Young Life's training for their staff, Uh for decades was if you can reach the key influencers in a school, you can reach the whole school. And the idea in a U.S. uh, environment or context was if you can reach the football team captain and the cheerleading team captain, then eventually they will trickle down, influence everyone. That is gone. You might still see it in some movies, but it's gone. It doesn't, it doesn't exist anymore. There are thousands of cultures and that football team captain only has influence over a small amount of people, right? Um, And with that shift, the need to find out where and to whom do I belong just became white hot and became the dominant of those three tasks. So now the average teenager, both in your culture and in mine, are walking through the world wearing belonging goggles. They are looking for... Ways and places to belong, and that is informing their search for identity and autonomy. So, in other words, where can I f- find belonging? Tells me uh, who I am and how my choices matter. That's a huge change. Like, yeah. think of it a, a 1950s teenager was saying, Who am I? That will tell me where I belong. And a teenager today is saying, Where can I be- find belonging? That will tell me who I am. And so <laughs> this idea that we're if we put on the right programs, it will transform lives and kids will flock to uh to what we're doing. Obviously, in your culture, you already all know that's gone. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot of youth workers who are operating with those approaches and assumptions and values, even though they they know at some level that approach isn't actually going to be fruitful. They're just not sure what to swap it out for. Uh, And I would suggest it needs to be an approach where we prioritize offering meaningful places of belonging and then walk alongside, here's here's my definition of youth work, walking alongside teenagers on their journeys toward Jesus. So that's the kind of framing that I think needs to take a very long answer to your question. The primary shift that I think is taking place but we've got a long ways to go uh is moving from that kind of program centric approach to one that is more relational and uh lifts up meaningful places of belonging
0: so how because you see the thing that's i'm i'm very uh uh, later focused on is is positive mental health Mm. and which which frames a lot of their their They're they're thinking around their identity. You know, are they good enough? or Are they not good enough? Do what they have is good enough, or so and so forth. Um, The thing that I find fascinating and something I'd be really interested to hear your your take on this is with the fact that young people now no longer have to create their their tribes and their many voices in a physical world, but they can use social media like Snapchat or, or um, uh, not Twitter or Facebook. What's the, um, uh, the one that's TikTok. really good. Cool? TikTok. TikTok. There you go. That's showing yeah. my age. Yeah. Um, so TikTok and Snapchat are generally for the younger people. Uh, sure. And um, Instagram still too. Yep. Yes, of course, of course, of course. Um, how, how do you walk alongside them when there is, what I call uh many messages that aren't necessarily healthy, but sometimes very toxic.
1: Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, preliminary comment. I think that uh when the internet was early and uh, social media was getting going, and in the early days, you know, the equivalent would have been chat yeah, yeah. rooms and things yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, people prognosticated that teenagers and eventually everyone uh-huh. were going to find their real places of belonging, including their most meaningful friendships were not going to be tied to geography anymore, that they were going to find all of that online. That has not come to be. Uh-huh. Uh, there's of course, stories and exceptions where you could point to that, but in general, that's not how teenagers use social media. The research on that really just shows that they tend to use um, social media as an extension of their in real life relationships. Yes. Um, And uh, and a big reason that that has become the case is because the public places, the public spaces where teenagers used to hang out to work out all that stuff. In the U.S., that would have been the shopping mall or the local park or different things like that. Even sometimes, uh, after-school jobs; those have been removed and are no longer accessible to teenagers.
0: Yeah,
1: most teenagers, and there, there are again, plenty of exceptions to this. Yeah. Most teenagers have way less freedoms today than they did 20 or 30 years ago, hmm. um, and the uh, and so teenagers, and then converted or used these social media platforms as a, a Dana Boyd, the leading researcher on teenagers on online activity, calls it a networked public. It is, it is an online space to work out their in real life relationships. Now, of course, they follow people and that there's all kinds of influencers and people that they look to. There's all kinds of desire within so many teenagers to be that kind of influencer Mm. but the dominant thing they're doing is working out their those three adolescent tasks but often in that networked public Mm. there's a ton of risks that come with that things like bullying that have always been around yeah are just easier to do now and often are done in ways that are kind of semi-anonymous yeah. um, and in such real time that happens so quickly, right? Yeah. But more specifically to your question, how do we step into that? I mean, it's just critical that we help teenagers understand wisdom, particularly when it comes to use of things like social media. How do we understand this? How do we engage it uh, and work in this space?
0: I. That's, yeah, th- 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 the thing that this cropped my mind into my mind about this because so although i've done youth work um ha- well how i've done youth work has always been very relational bit of fun bit of jesus but but and, and how you're doing and that stuff and and it unfortunately was because of we hadn't we we sometimes we did it in a youth group setting sometimes it just like a youth session session we know what worked the thing that that kept the glue that was was the fun part, you know. Actually, fact, um, I'm interested to understand because uh, th- there are there are certain things, as you say, these three components that that is formulaic, isn't it? Um, yeah. I'm I'm very mindful that when uh, we went into the various different uh, rooms or zones within at satellites, they had certain components that was there for you when you're just about to rock up with um your other um no doubt you don't do it on your own do it with others uh, with your youth work what's on your tick box to say okay we need this 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 and this to make sure that we have the right ecosystem to cultivate a sense of belonging that can then lead to you know the autonomy and identity. You know, you know, soft chairs, the type of drinks. The, you know the, 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 You know the type of decor, the music, the games. What we when we talk about what we don't talk about, how we how we deal with difficult conversations, so on and so forth. What are your do's and don'ts that you have as a? You know, I wouldn't say as a general. It's a big question, but some things that you must avoid and some things you must do.
1: Sure. Well, certainly I would put decor and games or the type of games way down the list. Those to me are much more about a program centric approach. Good. They're not bad things. I yeah. still enjoy doing games uh, with uh, teenagers and certainly having uh, a space that has the decor that makes them feel like it's their space is a lovely it's a, it's a nice to have. It's not a half to have at all. Instead, the half have to haves, the real priorities are a team of adults who are willing to walk alongside teenagers on their journeys toward Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we need time to do that. There has to be a value uh, or a set of values about creating those meaningful spaces where teenagers are encouraged to be honest and to talk and to raise questions and to express doubts, you know, maybe another one of the significant shifts that's taken, still taking place is a move from kind of a proclamation-based approach to a dialogue, right? And uh, what we've learned from research on adolescent faith development over the last uh, 10 or 15 years is that... If teenagers are not verbalizing their belief, it's just not going to stick. So what I say as a youth worker is significantly less important than what they say. So that means that reshifts, that shifts my role or recalibrates my role. My job then is to become a tour guide to the Christian faith, right? I'm an environmental host creating opportunities for meaningful belonging and dialogue uh, and that doesn't discount like the, say the role of scripture or understanding what it looks like to follow Jesus. It just, the approach is different rather than one of proclamation or content focused. Um, yeah. So yeah, what's really needed is um, a team. I'm going to just recapping a team of adults because you can't do this on your own unless your youth group is maybe three kids, then maybe yeah. you can do it on your own, right? A team of adults who are in this together, who understand That our role is to create these meaningful relationships that are safe, where honesty and questions and doubts, which, by the way, are not the opposite of faith. Um, And I would suggest that doubting is part of God's intention for teenagers as they move from a concrete pre-adolescent faith into the beauty of abstract uh, thinking that's given to them uh, at puberty as they re- start to wrestle with, how do I own what I actually believe? And a significant part of that process is having a safe place where they can verbalize that and talk about it. It's absolutely critical. So much so that I've come to say the, the um, verbalization of belief is more important than the accuracy of the belief, particularly when it comes to young and middle teenagers. Um, that's not that I don't want them to have an accurate belief. I just the pathway to get there often goes through some really messy space. And we need to embrace that and create an honest, uh, honest environment for that to take place.
0: Yeah, I get that. I get that. I get that. So a sense of belonging, that's community and I and, uh, uh, fascinating that that basically decor and games you would rank as quite low. Interestingly, you talk to a young person. It's quite high from, sure. uh, uh, but in terms of seeing uh, for me, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's a color of the wallpaper. Yeah. That's really, but yeah, that doesn't actually, you know, you go into a room and you oh, it's really nice, but, there are those that go
1: rubbish. So here's where, here's where I'd see the value of games since, since we're talking about it. Yeah. I've seen over and over again, over my many, many, many years of doing this, that there, there's lots of ways to create um, a space where our differences, because we do live in this tribal space and, and so many, uh, you know, the vast majority of youth groups are in a sense, multicultural because, Teenagers are living in different cultures, mm, mm, uh, mm. and so we come together, and we hope to create something where those cultural differences melt away, and we can create a mm. super cultural, or would that be supra cultural? Yeah, a, a kingdom of God culture, yeah, right? Yeah, that's yeah. that's a blending of all that. And uh, I've seen three ways over and over again where that uh, those differences melt away. One is when we're worshiping together. One is when we're serving together, and one is when we're having fun together. So I do still think that games can have a helpful role. I also think they can be really risky because games can end up being really exclusive. So there has to be a a very intentional commitment to making, anytime we're having fun, to making sure that it's inclusive uh, and that it's creating an opportunity for those differences to melt away and for us to create that meaningful place of belonging i'd also say fun is a wonderful spiritual value god is the inventor of fun and we should honor that because it certainly is a value to the teenagers that we're working with
0: yeah 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 i I find that fascinating about the serving part because to some extent i've one of the main reasons well you know the power of fun right have i told you this
1: one
0: i don't know oh well I, I, I say this all the time on my podcast, but I I'll tell you it because it's just one of those like oh my goodness moments. Um, my wife has epilepsy, um, and mm. she uh, she has these aura seizures, and mm-hmm. um, what happens? Parts of her brain literally dies, and mm. um, but there is a thing called elastoplasticity that happens, right? And yeah. um uh. uh one way for that is that you do certain mental ex- exercises. However, for somebody to learn something, it takes between, uh, uh, it takes about 400 points of contact to learn something. Mm-hmm. But if you put it into an environment where it's fun and fair, it reduces from 400 to seven.
1: Mm. So, wow. <coughs>
0: The learning process is literally crashed. The time that you get when you to put it into something that's fun and fair is, is absolute. I mean, you, you, you go online, you can Google, you know, the power of fun. Fun is, is one of those mm-hmm. phenomenal. Um, it's not just, it's good, good. It's actually, it's like going on speed for learning. You know, you right? might
1: say it's phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's a dad joke <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is very much it is. <laughs>
0: um, so uh, this is great this is really helpful I think worship's fascinating because you see mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that are who rock up within within our culture here in the UK who, who have go oh church is a bit Dollsville so worship isn't necessarily their their thing they go to satellites they're going oh this is something like this you know, it's, it's it's completely different ball. You know, ballpark game show, whatever. Um, serving's interesting, but and and I know that service learning is a massive thing in the US. But service serving is, is something that I think is very helpful and probably is not cultivated or nurtured enough um, in terms of. But then it's interesting when we get to. So I'm a cha- I'm a trustee for a charity uh where we do social action you know you ask people to do things on a ask answer a specific answer or a specific question for a specific answer they step up but general serving nah they have they need to be quite you know uh, uh, you know fixed and on that um but the question that i have because i'm um, this there's just so much this is good this is good stuff by the way um really very very happy. let me
1: give you a can i make a comment about the worship thing yeah sure sure because there's this is another place where there's been a significant cultural change Not, i don't mean just in how we worship but who is willing to worship oh, so
0: interesting yeah yeah go on
1: for for hundred, for i don't know a couple hundred years really this kind of came about uh with the enlightenment so in the modern world mm-hmm. which we're no longer in mm-hmm. uh We understood what was true. There's a little model that people used to teach that was a little train, and the engine was facts. Yes, it was rash, and this would be true in the church and outside of the church, everywhere, right? Rational and logical thought was the leader, the leading piece component of how we understand what's true, and that was universal, at least in Western culture. Yeah. Then there was the coal car. The fuel for the train uh-huh. was uh, the word that I would use was faith, but you could say worldview or beliefs. It, yeah. There yeah. was some kind of a preset set of beliefs or values that filtered that facts and ra- rational yeah. uh, and logic, right? And then the the caboose, the end of the train, was uh feelings and the the instruction of that within the church for a long time was feelings are nice to have but uh they're dangerous because they can mislead you so be careful about them in a postmodern world we've seen the that train go went off the rails yeah and now the leading car in the train the engine is experience in a postmodern world i understand what's true based on my experience faith or beliefs or worldview is still the fuel or the filter for that experience an interpreter you might even say and facts don't go away they become the support so they move into that final car uh, spot they become the means by which i bring integrity and strength to those things i've already chosen to tentatively believe based on my experience so what does that mean Mm -hmm. well let me give a little case study of this for years when I would be speaking years ago, when uh-huh. I'd be speaking at a large youth about, let's say something like satellites. Uh-huh. Um, I could pick out the kids during the worship set. I could pick out the kids in the room who were not believers huh. and that was often seen in their posture, yeah. right? Well, they weren't engaged. They weren't singing. Yeah. Uh, and they were either, Arms crossed or hands yeah. in pockets, and yeah, they yeah. looked very uncomfortable. These days, I can't pick them out, and hmm. it's because of this change. So, a teenager, the average teenager, uh, is saying, Hey, I understand what's true based on my experience, and I'm trying to figure out what's true. It, this could be a conscious uh, attempt or a, even a subconscious motive for them. And so if the space feels at least provisionally safe enough, right? if there's just at least enough belonging, so let's say again at satellite, let's say there's a kid who came with your group who is not a believer, but feels at least enough safety and sense of belonging with your group, then they are willing to try on behaviors that might... Offer them uh, an experience that defines reality for them. It might offer them, in in this sense, something transcendent. So they're willing to try on something like worship, even if they're not yet sure whether they believe in that God that they are expressing worship words and actions to. So that it's a really interesting shift. That's it means that I find teenagers are what way more willing to try things because they don't have to have the beliefs set in place ahead of time for those behaviors another way of looking at that is we used to say in our churches yeah if you want to belong great here's how you belong first you have to you have to believe like us then you have to behave like us and then we'll offer belonging but now that's reversed and teenagers are saying to us and this is more than just teenagers but they're they're they are indigenous to this culture right they're saying no i want to i want to experience belonging first then i'll try on your behaviors to see if it offers me some understanding of what's true and then i will consider the beliefs behind those behaviors goodness gracious
0: i mean for me that they sound like a very very um kind inclusive that there's that's all I, w- I wouldn't say it's fearless but there's definitely a sense of well i'll give it a go they haven't got the preconceived yeah. about no that's rubbish i mean they do in some spaces but what you're describing is that there is a uh, a more readiness to try things out and it's possibly because the, the the tribalism is so splintered that it's part of their muscle oh i'll try that oh, I'll try that. And I'll try that until eventually something sticks and it, and it, and it works for them.
1: Yeah. I certainly a big portion of it is that, but if we're using like our satellites example of uh, your group and some kid there, Mm. they still probably, if they had just randomly somehow wandered into that place, they were there by themselves. They probably wouldn't have engaged. Right. Okay. It's, because they're will because they're already experiencing something like I had to use my words again that provisionally feels like belonging enough that they're willing to try on those behaviors for them if they weren't experiencing safety and belonging this is why that has to be such a high priority in our ministries Brilliant. Um, then uh, they wouldn't be as as willing to try on those behaviors and possibly interact with the God who wants to meet them in the middle of their experience.
0: I love that. I love that. So, you know, we're, we're just drawing drawing to a close. I, I have one question, and it's, it's a bit of a random question, but I think it's okay. one that I, you know, you know that is. Um, what's giving you hope? for children's and youth work with, whether it be with the adults, whether it be churches, whether it be young people, whether it be education, whatever, what's giving you hope and why?
1: Yeah. Well, there's a lot of reasons for discouragement and cynicism, and there's plenty of reasons for hope, right? Uh, Just yesterday I heard from yet another one of my youth ministry friends who she's been a full-time youth worker in a church for a very long time. I mean, decades. Mm -hmm. And she she just lost her job this week because her church just cannot continue to fund it. Uh, and it was, def- I'm sure her church was in, disc- in decline already, but it was dramatically accelerated by the pandemic and yeah. just not enough people coming back to warrant that paid position. So we are uh, deep into a seismic change in the profession of youth ministry. Um, and we're seeing a, uh, a a gradual uh, departure of paid roles and you know there's you guys again this is one where you're ahead of us and it's not necessarily a good thing hopefully it'll lead to some good things that'll come out of it cuz it'll force our hand to do things differently you know so often when i'm at a youth worker event uh, even at, at satellite so many of my interactions with youth workers there were adults who are leading a youth ministry and there's not a paid youth worker in their church and yeah. they feel that somehow they are second-class citizens yeah yeah say, yeah we, or they'll say something like we don't have a very good youth ministry it's just me and these other volunteers and we're just hanging out with people uh but the reality is that is a Shorter pathway to really good youth ministry. And so often, many of our assumptions that used to work that we're still holding on to are often stronger expectations when we have a well funded youth ministry with a professional youth worker. It's harder to break out of our old ways of doing things mm-hmm. when we still have all those resources. So mm-hmm. I'm always, I'm always kind of encouraged when it's hey a couple volunteer youth youth workers in a church just spending time with teenagers creating a meaningful place of belonging doing life together and talking about what it means to uh, live life uh, with Jesus at the center I I'm encouraged and find lots of hope in that. Yeah. Um, I don't have any concerns about the future of the church. I you know oh. I have a theolo- theological conviction uh, uh, about the church and the, its role as the hands and feet uh, of Jesus in the world, yeah. but I do think we're going to go through some very pain. The, even though the pandemic's kind of letting up, in in many ways, you know, in most places in the states, and I think in in your country too, we're able to meet together again. Um, and uh, so, in many ways, it feels like the opportunity is uh, to do youth ministry how we did it before. Um mm. we're gonna see a lot of painful change in the decades to come. Uh, but uh, yeah again I've got all kinds of hope about that. Yeah, I'm
0: I hope so. I genuinely hope there's a lot of changes. I mean, you, know, you as you yeah. know, I've mentioned by you know, I'm a, I'm a huge uh, follower of, of Ecclesia and Ed silvoso stuff about the church been an influence in every stratus of society. And not just on a Sunday and, and our little weird epochs that we live in. So, yeah, I think I, I I love the fact that you find hope essentially from the volunteers because they choose it out of the love of the people. And it's not just a job.
1: Yeah, I find a lot of hope in smaller churches. Yes. Which, remember, at the beginning, I told you I only worked in large churches. And <laughs> the church I attend right now is a large church. It's mm. Well, pre-pandemic, we probably had 2,000 people there on a weekend, which in the U.S. is not stunning because um, we have plenty of churches that are much bigger than that, even in San Diego where I live. Yeah. But it does afford us some things, right? We have um, three full-time youth workers at our church. We have yeah. multiple rooms that are just for that. So we have that kind of stuff that a traditional youth ministry has had. I, that's the context that I serve in. Yeah, but i get a lot of hope out of seeing small churches that are saying we are going to here's the problem in a large church one of the most critical problems facing teenagers in terms of their faith development but all kinds of development is that they are so isolated from the world of adults in ways that was never true before our current day Um, and in churches with larger youth ministries, we perpetuate that, we isolate them even more. Yeah. So one of the reasons I'm bullish on smaller churches is because they can't afford to isolate the teenagers in the same way. <laughs> so they're kind of, their hand is forced to doing the beautiful thing of saying, we are going to, hopefully that they say this, we're going to collectively take responsibility for the teenagers in our midst. And we're gonna t- we're gonna care for them and treat them as one of our own, rather than this group that meets in a building on the other side of the car park, and uh, you know that we pay somebody else a Pied Piper to go take care of.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you know the takeaway for me is that the hope that you have and the hope that you're seeing is that there's more people that care. Yeah, that's such a simple, simple sentence. But there's more care. Mm. You crash the program. We just want to love you in a way where it's going to meet your needs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that program's bad. Program's just whatever we do. Yeah. Right? But
0: it's not It's not the idol. It's a means to an end.
1: Yeah. It's not the idol. Yeah. It's not stage-centric. <laughs> and we don't see the program, or we shouldn't see the program as what brings transformation nobody would have actually said that but our approaches revealed that that's really what we thought
0: so good so good marco it's been a joy uh, an utter privilege to have a chat with you uh a fellow Absolutely. Beardy, a fellow beardy guy i still haven't got any tattoos Sorry. yet um, maybe <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm an I'm a I'm a seven in the enneagram, and I woke up this morning, and it was one of these things like, oh, why am I so impatient sometimes? It's like, oh, oh, because that, things don't happen because we're a future thinkers. And, uh-huh. and yeah. I wrote down on here. I said to my wife, I think I've fixed myself, which is always hilarious. It just says, live yes. in the now, right. not for the tomorrow. It's what I wrote. It's like, ah, oh, maybe that's nice. my tattoo. Nice. Yes, today,
1: that's right.
0: Today is the day that the Lord has made. We'll, we'll live yes in that. so look you um, know, ha- that's
1: that's a, a little like one of my tattoos okay yeah yeah and i'm gonna sh- it's a it's a push button it started as a joke it's yeah. it's a push button that says push for surprise it started <laughs> j- as a joke between my son and i he he we were joking about doing that you know yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. but then i i i realized it's indicative of how I want to live my life. I want to lean in with expectancy and mm.
0: hope. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. I love that. So look, um, you you run a ministry, you have an, uh, you know have content all over the world and so on and so forth. How can people get hold of you if they wanted to find out a bit more about you and the ministry you do and the service, etc? How do they reach out to you?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, the website for the ministry I lead is theyouthcartel.com. So that's probably the easiest way. But, and, you know, you can find me on all the socials too. Not Definitely. TikTok. I never did TikTok. Yeah, <laughs>
0: I haven't done TikTok. That, I ha- no. <laughs> yeah, I'm 45 and I've just got to my point where I can still skateboard. Um, and my passion sledging or sledding, as you call it. But no, nah, TikTok, no, nah, I draw a line. <laughs> it's been a joy bless you thank you so much
1: it's great to chat man so just
0: to say thank you so much for tuning in to this episode and uh, if you want to catch up with any other episodes do go on to the anchor seasoned four portal portal and uh, you'll see all of the other episodes i've done also check us out on obviously itunes through uh, apple and with your android and all of your other different places like spotify that you get to listen to your podcasts (laughs) equally if you are someone who uses twitter um we are seasoned for life and um we have posts of all sorts there and then this is the next new thing. If you're really interested, why don't you come and join our learning community? It's on Facebook. It's a group of people who are asking questions about what does it look like to be seasoned for purpose? Anyway, thanks again for listening and uh, we'll look forward to connecting with you next time.